What's up, world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you can take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo, a nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed Coffee, clean your being. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I am Cameron. And I am Cameron. You are not Cameron. Cameron. You know what I am, though? Powerless? Over a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Did you? Yep. Yeah, well. Want to know how I knew? How? Because I'm powerless, too. Yeah. Well, Cameron, first, let me welcome you back to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. We've been dropping these every week for a minute. Dropping and, bones. And so we're grateful for all the support we've gotten, the feedback, the realization that what we're doing is adding value to people's lives. And it wasn't always that way. It was you know, not. You mean like the things that we were doing? Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that you mentioned powerlessness right off the rip. Well, because it's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're going to talk about powerlessness. Oh, we are? Yeah. We're oh. going to talk about admitting we were powerless, mm. the admitting part. And, you know, we got that from our war story today. Jen Wilde, who had a, a very entertaining and uh, wild. Yeah. Wild, wild ride. You know, radio personality from from the rock age of uh, the grunge, the grunge rock, the grunge Seattle, era. Yeah. You know, the the 90s rock and roll, heavy metal, grungy nirvana pearl jam she's pretty sweet dude all her, her story was uh was is crazy yeah 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 and so we're super grateful to get her on um and you know listening to her story it kind of brought up the idea the topic of of talking about admitting the powerlessness we were powerless yeah over alcohol and, so, and you know, let's let's just talk a little bit about uh, about where that comes from. Yeah, I yeah, let's let's do because it's important to remember that it's hard to get sober if you can't admit 
mm-hmm. certain stuff. Mm-hmm. So where, where does admitting powerlessness come from? Well, we get that. We take that from uh, from step one of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's and that's really what she talked about. She talked yeah. specifically about step one, but that is step one. Step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like even even in her story, she talks about how she was powerless over a lot of things. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the important part, and that for me is sort of what step one has become now, because you know, just because you know, I'm at this stage of the game doesn't mean that I stop taking that step. Like right. step one still applies to me. First of all, I'm still powerless over alcohol, you know, but I'm powerless over so many other things as well. Yeah. Power over people, places, and things. I'm powerless over, you know, certain situations. I'm, and there's just some things that I'm going to have no control over regardless of how I might feel. Yeah. How hard you fight it. Right? I want control. Yeah. But I'm powerless. Powerless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, man. But she was great. You know, I think the important part of, of the topic or, or the important part of the statement admitted we were powerless is, is the admission part. Yeah. Right? Like, what, what, what do we get by admitting that? <laughs> because it's not, it's not an easy yeah. thing to do. No. Wow. There's I, a lot of ego involved, right? Like, wanting to hold on. I got this. I mean, every once in a while, it gets away from me, but yeah, I got this. Yeah, no. Spe- especially pertaining to thing pertaining to things that uh, seem to destroy us, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, seem to be the answer to what is our problem. Mm. You know, alcohol, drug addiction, food. You know, those things. Sex. Those things that, that take me from where I'm at to where I think I need to be, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and admitting those things. Fuck, it was a, it was a fight for me. Yeah. I, I mean, and I know it was for you, too. You know, um, when I go into I have the opportunity to tell my story a few different times. And, you know, I go in regularly to a treatment center. I used to go into a lot more places as part of the hospitals and institutions, part of. Alcoholics Anonymous, that was my my main service position with AA, where I got sober, and um, I get to tell my story, mm-hmm. right? And and what I try to do with it, and what I try to do on this podcast is get to a, por- a point where people can identify with what I'm saying, and hopefully understand that, that what I'm saying is, is part of their story, too, and that there's a solution for whatever that is. And so when I go in and I start telling my story, like, that's the main thing that I try to identify and, and show how through telling my story, I can completely, without any denial at all, prove beyond reasonable doubt that I am fucking powerless mm. over alcohol and drugs and it makes my life unmanageable. And it's the story that I tell that proves that, right? Like, my history is the evidence that I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol. What happens when I put it in my body and it changes me Mm -hmm. to a person that is completely obsessed with getting more, Mm -hmm. right? And nobody's safe once I start down that path. And so, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you identify your powerlessness or, you know, to a point where you can admit it wholeheartedly. To your innermost, they, they, that's what they say, right? To we your, admitted to our innermost self. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I know that uh, for me, the first the first time that I really, you know, was given an opportunity to look really hard at this stuff was in treatment. You know, the first time I was in treatment, and and they give you, you know, some packets, some work to do that pertains to a lot of the twelve steps because it was a twelve step based treatment center. And, and really like you're given this opportunity to look at these specific examples. Okay. Go over your life and, and let's, let's, let's talk about all these times that you tried to, to manage it, that you tried to only drink this or only drink that or to not drink specific moments and, uh, and, and what happened? What was the outcome? You know, all these different ways that we're able to look at the things in our past and, and, and be able to say, okay, well, that's pretty undeniable. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, in that instance, like hiding these bottles, lying about it, sneaking this stuff, you know, um, is, is definitely, uh, more in line with me being powerless over it and my life being unmanageable because of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, I mean, that, that was one of the ways for me, and there was it, there was just so much evidence, just mm-hmm. so much, you know, that I could look at and say, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that you know I'm I'm sort of powerless, yeah. and that was one of the the main things that for me was right before I went into treatment and got help, you know, I, and I've told this story a couple of times, you know, on the show where I. I, uh, it was the weekend and the weekend for me was just, I mean, it was on, you know, like it was, it was on all the time, but on the weekend, like I'd be lucky if I remember really tie one off. Yeah, exactly. And I had to be sober on Sunday. I just, (laughs) I had, I had something that I was supposed to do. Good luck with that. That required me to be sober. And I was like, okay, no matter what, like I'm going to be sober, I'm going to be sober. And, uh, and you know, it was just like, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be sober, but I'm coming down. I probably better have a shot. <laughs> I probably just better have a shot, you know? And then before I know it, the bottle's gone. It's fucking middle of the afternoon on Sunday. And I'm just like, fuck, like I really, I really tried. I, f- I feel like I know this story. Like I really what, tried this time. What was the event? Remind me. I was supposed to go over to my brother's house where I would be staying and he had his kids there and I didn't, I didn't want to be drunk around his kids. Right. And, uh, and, um, that was actually the same day that I, you know, put the gun to my head just to see what it would feel like. Right. So, so that's how that story ties in. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. And so like that, that for me, like was a very big moment. One of the last moments, um, that I was able to look at and just see exactly how powerless I was like. In retrospect, when I got into treatment and I looked back on my life over the last year, I had millions of examples, yeah. but that was the biggest one um, that was just completely undeniable because I I had made every effort to not drink, yeah, and I still drank, and, and I knew at that moment that I was like, okay, this is, this is unreal. Yeah. You know, this is crazy. And so I knew I was dealing with something next level. So I had to do something next level to handle it. And that, you know, that was because the gun didn't feel right. The, the, 
the yeah. suicide, like ending it that way didn't feel right. I knew I was going to have to do something else. And for me, that basically just meant telling somebody yeah. that I was ready for help. Yeah. God, dude, it, it, it reminds me of so many examples in my own life. And, and what comes up is, is this particular one, mm. right? For some reason, I'm thinking about it. And uh, I, had been, I had been arrested on conspiracy to deliver methamphetamines. I, and I had done like four or five months in jail. I got out on bail uh, to prepare to go to treatment, right? Like I was either going to go to treatment or go to prison. If I didn't successfully complete treatment, they were going to send me to prison. And, and so... So that was the condition of your release? Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. <laughs> Just get me out I of here. I use and I drink when I have every reason not to. So, of course, I started using again. And there, there was an, an entire series of events that happened, but basically I fell off the chain. I started doing dope again. I started running the streets just like I wasn't on probation. Um, my probation officer came to look for me at a friend's house. Um, I showed up right after she had left and he's like, yeah, your, your fucking PO came over. Thanks for that. Mm. Obviously <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> looking for you. And I was like, fuck. The, the jigs up and um so i gave him my drugs and i was like i need to go talk to her and and so i went and i went to her office and i talked to her and she's like you be in treatment tomorrow or i'm sending you to prison and i was like fuck fuck i don't want to go to want to keep getting high you're really gonna make and, me do it huh and so uh i called the treatment center that i was supposed to go to and they're like yeah you missed your your bed date you fuck because i had a bed date and they're like you missed it so now you got to get back on the list so i call my po and i'm mm. like yeah you know i'm fucking here turns out i can get high for another <laughs> couple days and and, and, and and they were like you got 30 days or something like that and i told my po and she's like you better not get arrested Right. And she's like, if you get any new charges, you're fucked. You're done. We're going to prosecute you completely. Yeah. So you better stay out of trouble. And so what I did was like, sweet. I got 30 fucking <laughs> yeah. days. Right. And so. <laughs> Isn't it funny that I knew that that would be your thinking? Yeah. It's so. And I can laugh about it now, but fuck, I, my clothes were dirty. I didn't have a car. I rode my bike all over town. I was living off of my parents. Fucking nobody wanted me around. I was just a fucking tweaked out mess. Mm. And so I, I started the process of using for my last 30 days. And, and the treatment center called my parents' house. And they're like, okay, a bed opened up. And it was like, i like, fuck. <laughs> Was this like in, in the 30-day period? It was like three days later. Oh. <laughs> and so, You're like, I thought I had 30 and, days. And so uh, they they told my mom the conditions of it and, and everything. And, and I was so fucked up at the time that I didn't wear underwear. Like I just, I freeballed everywhere. It was just an inconvenience. I was a nasty fucking. Yeah, it's just one more layer to get dirty. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I had no good hygiene. I was a fucking mess. I can smell this story. <laughs> it's <was> bad. <laughs> and so I, my mom, like, like my mom gets a hold of me because I was running around and she's like, you got to, you got to be here, you know? And again, you know, a mother's love, you know, I've, I've talked about my mom so many times, like she saved me so many times, but. I'm like, well, I don't have any underwear. And so she gave me some money 
to, to go buy underwear. And, <laughs> and, and so while I was at their house, cause I, I couldn't stay with them, I don't think at the time, but I could come over and eat or whatever. And so she gave me some money to go buy underwear. And while I was there, I stole like a game boy and some of my dad's tools. And I took those to the pawn shop. And then I took the money that she gave me and I went and bought dope and <laughs> went and fucking party all night long. <laughs> and then I, the, she takes me to treatment and I was just fucking spun out of my mind and I'd been drinking all night and I'd spent all the money, the underwear money on, on dope. And you didn't get underwear? No. That's and, not a surprise. And, and, and so as, as an adult, I was, I was 24 at the time, which is, is legally it's an adult, but obviously I was still a fucking child. But... Uh, I went there and did the intake and they're going through my shit and they're like, where's, where's your underwear? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't wear underwear. And they're like, here, you, here you wear underwear. You need to get some fucking underwear. And so I was like, well, I don't, I don't, I've never worn them. So I don't, I didn't bring any. And so they call my mom. I don't know how underwear works. Yeah. They call my mom. I'm telling you, I was a fucking, I was, I was a mess, dude. <laughs> yeah. All I did was get high. And, and so they call my mom and, uh, they're like, we, can you send some money or some underwear? And she's like, I gave him money for underwear. <laughs> and now I'm in the office with these clinicians like day one. They're like, where's, where's the money that your mom gave you for underwear? And I'm 24 years old. You're like, Where do you think it is? Like, <laughs> ah, yeah, I smoked that. Right. You know, but that, that was me all through my using, like it, everything went towards the dope. Yeah. Regardless, like in, mm -hmm. the only reason I went to treatment was because I had, I had done enough time in programs that I thought that I could fucking do the same thing again. I could go to treatment, talk the talk, act, act the act, mm -hmm. get out and get right back to what I was doing. Well, that's not what happened, right? What happened was I went to treatment after all that. They started working on me. They took me to meetings and I started listening to other people in recovery talking about powerlessness and unmanageability, how that manifested in their life and what the solution for it was. Mm. Right. And, and, and it really started a, a process of recovery in my life. You know, I didn't stay clean from that time. I had three years at one time after that and then fucking relapsed and couldn't get another 90 days for another six years or however long it was until this last time I sobered up. But powerlessness continues continued to manifest in my life when it came to drugs and alcohol because i'm an alcoholic right right i if i put anything into my body mm -hmm. that produces an effect that changes the way i feel in the direction away from how much i fucking hate myself which is ultimately why i used a drink it was a solution for the way i felt about myself right yeah the effect that was produced was so uh was so great that that i became obsessed Right. And I and I share about that, like the the manifestation of the disease within me is uh, once I use it creates an obsession. And once the obsession is kicked in, I act out compulsively. And as I'm acting out compulsively, it means I'm doing all this negative shit to continue to feed the obsession. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I'm fucked. Yeah. Then it's over. 
Yeah, well, and I, I really like, uh, I, I love your story. <laughs> yeah, it was a little long, I'm wondering but there too, was a like, lot to it. Is this, uh, is this, just so I have the right image, like, because I've seen your mugshot, like, is this that, that Willie, are we talking about the mugshot Willie in this story? Which mugshot? The, the one that I, I guess, the one that I passed with my chip yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that mugshot was uh, the last time I got arrested. Okay. So. That yeah. was that was in my thirties, right? Well, I, I mean, I just I just wonder, like, in in your story of powerlessness is so much more detailed than mine, and I'm like, well, maybe I should have shared that I <laughs> I was wearing underwear, <laughs> and you know, like, yeah. but I mean, you know, it's it's not all that different, right? Like, I mean, I I can look at that story and I can say, man, that's crazy. What a crazy guy he was, but then I look at my own story and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, it turns out like I was crazy too. Yeah, like like you know? chewing on the barrel of a gun is, right. isn't exactly sane. Yeah, well, and 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 what it reminds me of is like when when I am when I'm obviously I'm powerless over alcohol, and it's pretty clear to see that uh, that I'm powerless with those stories that we have, right? Like, I mean, I I was living in a friend's trailer, like in between houses, like Monday through Friday, I would live in this dude's trailer. And then on the weekend I was supposed to go hang with my brother. Cause I could only be there on the weekend because he knew of my drinking problem, you mm-hmm. know? And I didn't want to be where I was at with this dude on the weekends because he had a drinking problem too. You right. Know? And so it was like this weird sort of like, I'm living in the void of like trying to get better, but also trying to like not inconvenience anybody and just, you know, the, the crazy and insanity that is, you yeah. know, the disease. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, I say that because that, that instance and that incident and that story is like not all that different from yours, um, in the sense that I'm completely powerless. Like when I'm drinking, I am powerless over everything. Right. right? Like, I, my finances go to shit. My relationships become thin. Like, you know, I don't know how to properly interact with anybody because the only thing I'm thinking about is the obsession that's on my mind, right. you know, and the craving that one drink. Like, even in that story that I shared, like, all I wanted was the one drink. Yeah. Like, I needed something to calm my nerves. <laughs> I needed something to calm me down. Because yeah, if you felt like I feel. Yeah. Like, listen, I'm go, I'm doing a really hard thing right. I'm not drinking, so I need to drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's oh, it, it's tough. It's just it's the insanity, man. Yeah. Like, but but on that note, like to take that to take that to the next level, right? To the point where I did go to treatment and I was able to like talk and interact with other people who knew how I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I remember like sitting there in treatment just feeling so defeated like man i'm in fucking rehab rehab like here i am in rehab like what the fuck yeah and then sharing my story and 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 here's the thing too is like i remember sharing parts of my story and having other people go whoa and i'd be like really it's that bad like (laughs) you're in treatment too it's like (laughs) what what you know but then but then luckily like through the process of that, like you get to hear their stories too. Uh-huh. And then they take you to some AA meetings and you hear some people that have recovered who have a similar story. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so even though I am powerless, there's hope. Yeah. And that's what's so important about this recovery movement, right? Is, is so that you can hear Cameron's trailer and gun story. You can hear my underwear story right. and you can identify 
with those things and be like, okay, I have some of those things too. Uh, maybe powerless is what I'm going through and I can't identify it, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. cause it took me a long time to identify that I was powerless. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then it, and then once I was able to identify what it was I was going through, like, okay, I'm powerless. It was a lot easier to admit it to my innermost self because I had a lot of evidence built up to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. luckily for me, I've had pe different people in my life at different times, but you know, I had somebody help me through the process of the steps yeah. work, work through this. And, and how do you admit this stuff, you know, and admit your unmanageability because not only was, was I powerless, my life was unmanageable. Right. right? Yeah. Which, which is that uh, also the stuff that we're talking about is, you know, other people taking care of us, staying on couches, all our mm -hmm. money going towards the drink and the drug and, and lying and not being able to keep jobs and, and ending up behind dumpsters, fucking smoking crack. Like, like, like Jen, like Jen talks yeah. about, you know, and then coming to that point that you were just talking about where you were sitting in rehab and we surrender, yeah, you know, and that's another thing that she brings up in her story is, is that surrender. And that's something that I finally did was I finally threw my fucking hands in the air and said, there's enough evidence stacked against this that I need help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a hard thing to admit. It is like, I, I think that that's sort of the, the biggest thing about admitting that I'm powerlessness. The next step of that, the next part of that is that, and I need help. And right? I need some fucking help. Yeah. Like I, bad. Like, because, <laughs> because that was the thing, like, what, what am I powerless over? Like I'm, I'm a powerless, I'm powerless over my own ability to control what it is I'm doing. Right. Like I have tried to manage this like a normal person and I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't have it. I don't have it in me to yeah. do what it takes, you know, over and over again. And so, yeah, like the evidence was there and then it was like. I think that that's a difficult pill to swallow. Like, I don't know about you. I mean, well, I mean, I probably do know about you. I know it was just as hard for you as it was for me to, to accept help from people. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to think that I got this, like I got this, like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it, you know? And, uh, and so admitting it was like, okay, yeah, I need help. And even then, like, you know, in my story, like, just like your story, that, doesn't mean I was sober from that point forward. Like I had to go through treatment. I had to, you know, go out and see, yes, I still am powerless. Yes. It turns out like I still will crave that thing. If I give into that craving, I then begin obsessing and right. it leads me right back down that road. Like I, like what, what treatment did for me the first time was be able to clearly see the pattern of my behavior. And then I had to go back out and experiment with that pattern of behavior <laughs> and recognize it in Let's real time. Make sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me, I mean, I know that um, based on past evidence, I can see that this seems to be a pattern in me, but maybe now that I know that it's a pattern, yeah, I can change it. And that wasn't the case clearly, right. you know? So I had to go back out and say, okay, I mean, I know I said I was powerless before. And one thing that Jen talked about in her story that I think is pertinent is, yeah, I was powerless, but I didn't care. <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah, I admitted. I admitted that I, knew, I was. I knew I was an alcoholic. I could see that the patterns were there. 
I knew the consequences of it. Right. I just didn't care. But I didn't care. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, like I had to get to that point where it was like, okay, like I can't continue to live this way. Right. I just can't like, and obviously, you know, the, the gun to my head didn't feel right. Yeah. And so there's a third option. Like, um, and the third option is accepting the help that people are offering. You know? Giving it a try. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's just see what, let's see what that behind door number three. <laughs> give it a, give it a go. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the thing, right? Is okay. Now, now we have the evidence. Now we have the solution. What is the action that we take? Okay. For me, what, what happened was like, I had all that stuff and then I got with a guy and he suggested that I write out my own definition of powerless. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason that he had me do that was because, um, I had to become accountable for what my definitions of it meant. Right. I had to become the guy that's telling myself, if I behave in this manner, that proves my powerlessness. If, and, and he did the same thing with unmanageability. He's like, what's your definition of unmanageability? You know, and I could go back through my life and I could see situations where like I needed I needed somebody to give me money to buy underwear that I spent on dough. Right. Right. And that's a that's a clear definition. That's a cl that, like that's clear that my life is fucking unmanageable. So I sat down. And I still have the paperwork. And when I sit down with other guys, I, I go back because it was in December of 2011 that that I wrote out my definitions of powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm and I'm able to go back to that and be like, OK, if I'm living in this obsession and I'm acting in this certain way, then obviously I'm still living in powerlessness. Like I'm still like not having my power. And so like being on the other side of that. I need to like also identify what does it mean to have power in my life, mm -hmm. right? To, to make the decision to not use or drink, to eat despite craving, right? right? And so like, what was it, how, how what, what was the process for you? Like you work with Ben and, and do, do this stuff on a, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You're still part of a 12 step and that's how, you know, we, we still stay sober in 12 step meetings and 12 step groups and in sponsorship and, traditional you know 12-step recovery like what was what was the admitting part of this last run for you yeah so it really was uh was looking at looking at all those instances right so one of the things that uh that we did was 20 20 instances of clear powerlessness mm -hmm. and 20 instances of unmanageability and knowing the difference between the two right so writing down all these instances that I tried to control it and that I was unsuccessful or I tried to stop on my own and I was unsuccessful. And, and then, uh, the unmanageability part is like, okay, here's the negative consequences that are coming from it. Like here is the parts of my life that I am trying to make better and improve that I'm not able to make better or improve because this is a condition <laughs> of my current circumstances. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, between those two things, like it was clear, yes, I am an alcoholic. And that's the whole point behind it, right? Is like, we, we have to see it written out very plainly. We have to kind of go through it ourselves. We have to pick it apart enough to see that it is completely undeniable. Yes, I am powerless. And yes, my life is unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, it was that process 
of just seeing all the evidence. Yeah. Having it there in front of me. I like that. You know, I like the definition of powerless, like defining it for yourself. Yeah. Um, that seems very unique as far as what I've, I've experienced. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, I think one of the things that people need to realize and understand is that you have to take responsibility for your recovery. Mm -hmm. You have to, um, I mean, people are going to be there and we're going to help each other guide through this stuff. We're going to be sounding boards for each other, but you have to take responsibility, right? Eventually, because even if you're forced into treatment like I was, I still had to take responsibility for my recovery, even right. though all the information was there. And so being willing to do the work puts us in a position to where we can kind of start gaining power by admitting powerlessness. Right, right? Like, right. like we get on the other side of that and it's very empowering for whatever reason, it's kind of a paradox. Like we've heard this before, but there's power in surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to surrender to the fact that when I put substances into my body, I become powerless over the mental effects that they have, which puts me in a position where I act out compulsively. And now everybody's fucking powerless over what I become. Mm -hmm. through that right because i've said it so many times like nobody is safe from my disease i become a monster and and i will step on the toes of all of my fellows because the obsession is greater than my ability to control it mm. it, it always has been yeah it always has been like i can go back to when i was a little kid and the shit i would do for candy right yeah. and then i can go back to the last time i used and how far i took it let me ask you something really quick. Was the first thing you ever stole candy? That's the first thing I remember. Nah, might have been a lighter, like maybe both. The first, because I don't know. Like I remember the first time I got caught. What was that? More than I was stealing lighters. Why were you stealing lighters? So I could smoke. Not cigarettes. Yeah, cigarettes. You were stealing cigarettes too. Uh, from my parents and stuff. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but I was Couldn't. I was stealing from Maverick. I was stealing. They they had these little grenade lighters. I don't know if you ever. They used to have them when I was look a kid. Cool. They look like a grenade. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I just asked because it's like I never stole anything that was good for me. Yeah. No. It was, you know what I mean? Like I always, I always, I always was gonna steal things that uh, like it was like. I needed to engage in negative behavior so that I could steal something that would allow me to engage in negative behavior. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but it just reminds me like that's, I mean, it, it's an early, an early, uh, instance of my powerlessness. Like I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know how not to do that. Like, yeah. Like, like, I mean, on that subject, did you, did you control your candy intake on Halloween? No, <laughs> you know, like, no, I don't think so. No, no, mm -mm. you know, and anything like anything that I had an abundance of and able to use, I did except for water. Like I would waste the <laughs> shit, but I wouldn't drink enough to not be dehydrated. Like, you know, there was an abundance of it, but I didn't use it obsessively because mm -hmm. it didn't change the way I felt. Yeah. You know, yeah. it never, it never made me feel better than I did before I started using it. And and that's the, that's the thing with the substances that I put in my body is it changes the way that I feel about myself, you know, for whatever reason, it takes me out of me long enough to forget that I'm me, you know, food was a great one. And then, and then I found, uh, huffing 
you know, one of the things I was thinking about when it came to powerlessness was, was huffing. Like I got into uh, huffing glue and huffing gas in middle school and I did it for about a year. And, um, like I, it became to where like I was sneaking in in school and shit, you Mm. know, like I had no, I had no off button ever. Right. Until I found the discipline of sobriety. Yeah. Until you admitted first that you were powerless over all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I had to stop it all. Right. Right. It's not like I quit huffing and did nothing. Right. I quit, I quit huffing because I escalated. Yeah. I got into a really dangerous situation with it. It scared the fuck out of me. And I moved from it and heavier into more like street drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, I got away from, from, from the fumes and moved more into to marijuana, meth and, and alcohol. Mm. It didn't stop using. Well, you know, on that, like as we're, as we're talking about the powerlessness and admitting that we're powerless, you mentioned that it, it does sort of give you power to, to admit that, right? Sure. Well, I think that what it what it makes me think of is that it's it's very important for me, and and it kind of comes back to the serenity prayer, right? Like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. to to change to wait the courage the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. And and I think the wisdom to know the difference is the part for me that is is super important, <laughs> right? Like, because yeah. I, I am powerless over a great deal of things, but that being said, there are certain things I can't control. And so how much am I able to make those things that I can control look the way I want them to look? Yeah. You know? Um, and, and I think that knowing what my limits are, knowing what I'm powerless over allows me to to shift my focus into the right things and say, okay, well, these are the things I can't control. I don't even need to waste any energy, yeah. any effort looking at all these things that I can't, I can't control what you think of me. You know, I can't control what, what others think of me. Um, but what I can control is what I think of me. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to put all my effort in that. Um, and that's a good thing I think for me to be thinking about right now, because I think that I can get really lost in comparing myself to others, you know? Sure. Um, there's definitely that part in me that is like super ingrained. And I think you and I were sort of talking about it on the phone the other day, um, about how, you know, even in a, in a community of people who grew up feeling, uh, separate from and, and different than, you know, I can feel separate from and different than. Um, the people who also feel separate from yeah. and different than. I, I you know? feel more separate and, yeah. and more different than. I mean, I know you guys feel, you know, like you don't belong, but I feel like I don't belong more than you guys, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So, so there is, you know, there is some of that that I still deal with now. And I, and I, you know, I really liked that Jen mentioned that in her story, like mm-hmm. early on, she was comparing people, Yeah, you know? Um, she, yeah, she, she compared to kindergarten. She was comparing right. herself to other people who, and she compared herself. And this is the thing. She compared herself to people that turned out to like have IQs of a billion or something. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So she's not, she's not comparing herself fairly. Not, not that I think that comparing yourself is ever a good idea, but that's the thing. Like there's no way to do that. That's going to bring you joy. Right. There is no way to properly compare yourself to others. Yeah. What we compare ourselves to is who we used to be 
and where we're at now mm-hmm. and, and who I used to be yesterday. Am I better than I was yesterday? That's, yeah. You know, and that is the comparison that's going to make a difference. Yeah. So I think for me, like knowing what it is I'm powerless over, knowing the things that I can control and having the courage to take the action to control the things yeah. and make them look the way that I want them to look. Right. Is important. Yeah. And hence sobriety. Sobriety. Yeah. yeah. Here I am. Yeah. You know, on this side of the table. Not so bad. I'm pretty grateful for it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, like for sure, you know? And, and so like, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up Jen's story again, because I'd like to get rolling into it. You know, uh, there was so much in her story that, that brought this topic up, mm-hmm. you know, because all of her life there was powerlessness, you know, and she, she does a great job of illustrating that throughout, you know, but ultimately trying to find that one thing that's going to work for her landed her in a position to where she almost lost everything. Right. You know, she did lose her career. Yeah. She, um, she had a cycle. Yeah. You know, and, and that perpetuated in powerlessness and unmanageability, you mm-hmm. know, treatment, crack, uh, career, repeat, treatment, right. crack, re- career, repeat, like mm-hmm. the, and all the, all the way into her, her final, uh, overdose where she almost died and she was getting revived after a three-day binge mm-hmm. that that came from a place of well i can probably just do this one thing yeah and right and be okay like okay. like I, I can do the one thing the one thing. and that will give me the effect i need to feel okay right being powerless over the way we feel about ourselves and that's what's so great about sobriety what sobriety has brought me is to have power to feel good about who I am, mm, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when, like you were saying, when at the end of the day, I don't feel very good at myself, I go to the evidence board and go, okay, regardless of how I feel, I had power in my life today. I didn't act out on the obsession that's going to destroy me. And tomorrow I'll feel different, you know? And so Jen's, Jen's story is great. She, she's really fun to listen to. Yeah radio personality, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the things. And so, uh, if you got anything you want to add before we roll into no, it, man, I just want to say, you know, like there was, there was a lot there that I identified with. And one of the things that I really appreciate that she kept saying is my story is the same as everybody else's, you know, my story is the same as everybody else's. And, and that's just the thing is like, yeah, it really is. You know, yeah. like we all have these stories. We all have these stories and they all, you know, may sound the same, but, uh, but in the end, sharing them with the others, you know, sharing them with others is how we make sense of what happened to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that she did. But shout. Okay. Well, we'll let her tell it without further ado. Here is Jen's war story. All right. Hi everybody. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I am humbled and um, honored to be here. My name is Jennifer. I am an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I'm a sex addict. I'm a shopaholic. I am a food addict. I'm uh, addicted to the sun. I'm addicted to whatever makes me feel good. I think the only thing that I haven't covered is gambling, and that's just because I'm too busy at the bar drinking. So I get blacked out before you can explain blackjack to me. So I black out before I can play blackjack. Um, we'll start with just like my earliest memories, uh, like kindergarten, I decided just, I didn't like school. I decided that right away, um, it was really friggin' boring because 
I grew up on a street with these two girls and I happen to know where they are today. And they're like genius IQs. And these were my best friends. And these are the girls that I went to school with. And so I compared myself to them. All right. So obviously I was just normal and these are geniuses and I couldn't compete. And this was kindergarten. So I'm like, F this, I don't like school. And right away I just decided that I wanted to rebel. And I think out of the box, my mantra was just rebellion. And I grew up in an upper middle class Jewish community where most people didn't rebel. So um, we'll just start with that. Went to school, tried to, you know, conform, didn't really work. Um, my dad was always working. He was a workaholic as well. Later to find he was also an alcoholic, but not the kind of alcoholic that would be like, where are the kids and come home and, you know, slap us around. We went on beautiful vacations. Um, my, my, my mother just gave me everything I wanted. I was very spoiled. There was no discipline. Our house was friggin' crazy. It was insane. There was the white picket fence, but inside, I mean, my brother and I were in the basement listening to rock and roll. Rock and roll was a big part of my upbringing. And, um, my father was working. He was traveling a lot. My, my mother was just oblivious. God knows what. And there was just no discipline. All of us just did what we wanted to do. I remember my cross the street neighbor used to be like, I don't understand how, like when the uh, family is going out to dinner, Jennifer, which is me, she's in the front seat and her mom is in the back. Cause like I ruled the household. Like what I ruled my family, which isn't, you know, really normal. So, um, I'm just going to kind of skip around here. And I was an alcoholic from the first time I picked up a drink. I remember, let's go to the dentist. Okay. So I had, I had to go to the dentist and I remember going to the dentist in eighth grade and the dentist giving me laughing gas and feeling at that moment, the ease and comfort that we feel and saying, fuck yeah, I'm going to find whatever this is. If this, if this is like, what drinking feels like or what drugs feel like, I'm going to find it because this is it. Because it took me away from whatever it was that didn't make me feel like the rest of the people or the rest of the people that I grew up with or like those kids in kindergarten that were smarter than me or the girl that sat next to me in class that had prettier hair or whatever. Everybody was prettier. Everybody had it better than me. Everybody, you know, if you're an addict, you just have that thing. If you're an alcoholic, we have that hole. We have that something. And when I went to the dentist, it was filled with what we know now, you know, later is, well, is the, uh, what's it? The nitrox, what's, what's it called? Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. I can't think of it right now. All I know is that I did a lot more of it later on in life at Grateful Dead concerts with the uh, hippie, hippie crack going the laughing balloons. So anyway, um, just never, ever was at ease with me. Hated school. Um, found out at a very early age that there was a hotel right down the block from me. And every time there was a band that would come through town, they would stay at that hotel. And we would see the tour buses there. And so my friends and I would ride our bicycles there. And we basically grew up in that hotel. Grew up in that hotel. From a, a, probably age 11 we would cut class and wait there and when the bands would come in town before we were like developed when we were just little 
we would wait there. Can we get your autograph? And they would ignore us and laugh and whatever. And then as we got older, we'd get more attention. Then we'd hang out in the bars and then we'd meet the bands and we'd hang out in the tour buses. And then high school was all about hanging out, chasing rock bands, going to concerts and getting drunk and already 16 years old, you already got a teenage alcoholic smoking weed. Um, when I was at that hotel, I fell in love with the 21 year old Mater D at the bar who, you know, was the bad boy into cocaine. So now you got a 17 year old Jewish girl in the suburbs that's chasing rock stars with her boyfriend. That's the cocaine addict. Just a typical story, you know, typical story. So teenage drug addict at that point, uh, did I get in trouble? Yes. Was it still manageable? Yes. Did I know that I have a problem? Yes. I remember having a diary entry in 1986 and it said, I, and I was 16 and it said, I know that I'm an alcoholic because, and this was the girl's name was Jamie Levine. <laughs> Jamie Levine left my house and everybody left the house and they all went home and it's four in the morning and I'm still drinking by myself in my bedroom you know, and the thing is because of my lack of discipline, um, you know, my, I, I can't blame my parents, God bless their hearts, but I still would have been an alcoholic, but they kind of made it easy for me just because dad was always working, doing his own thing. My mother was clueless. My mother knew that I was unhappy. So her, um, solution to everything was, I'll just let her do it. You know, she's just turning it let's go shopping. Let's you know, let, let her drink, let her, you know, whatever. Yeah. She, she's, there was just no discipline. Um, so it turns out at my, by the time it was my senior year, all of these, all these, you know, kids I went to high school with, they're all going to Ivy League colleges and I'm going to rehab. So that was my first rehab. Um, I, I'm jumping around, but the last rehab I went to, we tried to count how many I went to, and we were up to like 40. So I've been in and out of treatment centers my whole life. So the first one was after my senior year of high school, already an alcoholic doing drugs, crazy. Um, and I was the one that said that I knew I had the problem. I think it was just because I'd rather go to rehab and be with a bunch of addicts that were like me that have to go to college. I didn't want, I did not want to go to college. I knew I'd just be, I knew this, I, I knew that I would fit in more in rehab. And so they sent me, I grew up in Cleveland, rock and roll hall of fame city. And that's where I grew up. They sent me to Minneapolis, um, home of treatment centers. And I went there, stayed, you know, stayed sober for, I mean, I'm jumping around so much, but I stayed sober for, um, I don't know, a year maybe, decided to move out there, got an internship and decided that uh, I was going to get an internship at a radio station because I wanted to figure out how I could meet, you know, rock stars and get paid for it. And so that's what I did. And one of my connections from my teenage years, um, one of the roadies that I met got me a job and I, I don't want to focus too much on this, but I ended up just falling into this like ridiculous career in radio. And I moved back to my hometown in the nineties, Cleveland in the nineties, rock and roll hall of fame city. When all the Seattle hype was happening and uh, the eighties were out and the eighties bands were out and I was helping break Pearl jam and all these bands and I'm young and 
party scene, the heroin, the drugs, the uh, and I was right in there, and I was perfect for it. And let me tell you something, the music industry loved me. They're like, oh my God, she's perfect. You know, it was, it was like cool to be a drug addict. It was accepted. It was accepted in my industry. And all these bitches that I went to school with, you know, it was like, ha ha, look at me now, you know? Um, so finally, it was my, it was a false ego. It was the false ego because I thought finally that I was up there with them. Because I had the radio job, I had the money, I had the fame, I that, that. Meanwhile, I'm dying inside, dying of drugs. It's killing me. And even though everything looked so great on the outside, I was dying of a drug addict in the inside still. I mean, I, 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 I knew something was wrong. I didn't enjoy any of that. I didn't get to enjoy it. I didn't have any feeling of self-worth or self-esteem. I just felt dead. So my company came to me um, and they said, you know, we think you need to go to a spa, Jennifer. We think you need, you know, this was five years into, into that job, WMMS Cleveland, biggest rock station in the country. Um, we, we think that you need to dry out. And they wanted me to go to a spa. And at that point I was like, no, you guys, you know, that's really cute, but you know, I need, I need some time away. I need to go to rehab. So like, okay, you can go to, I don't remember. They were going to send me like, I don't know, father Martin chalk talk guy, like really boring. If you're an old school addict, you know, chalk talk guy, horrible. Um, or we're going to send you to Florida. We know a place in Florida right on the beach and you know, we'll send you there. So of course I chose Florida and um, I came down here and I stayed sober for a year. I met a bunch of great people. Um, then I went to a sober living. Then I got another radio job <laughs> and um, was high before you know it. Got introduced to crack. And from there, I mean, it's just, I could just go it, it, for 15 years. It was just like crack, sober, rehab, crack, sober, drinking, crack, sober, career down, up, down, marriage, got married, had a kid, got sober, smoking crack. So I went from um, fame to behind the dumpster with the homeless people, smoking crack. And that's what I, that's where I wanted to be. You know, my, my father died, my mother, my beloved mother, who I love so much. Um, she moved down here and I, I mean, broke her heart, you know, um, I would, I, I would, was living with my, my ex-husband and my ex now. And when he, I met him on the druggy buggy, you know, I was in treatment I was like, I want him sex addiction right there. You know, I want that guy. And I ended up two days sober me, you know, marrying him. And, um, we had a son together who's now 16 and he's in the other room right now. And he's a great kid, but you know, he's definitely a result of, active addiction two addicts getting together and being raised in active addiction and two people with mental illness and just you know we weren't ready and you know he's, he has a lot of issues this kid he's a good kid but he's got a lot of issues and so that's when they say you know wait till you have a year i i should have waited till i had 10 years i still shouldn't be dating you know um so you know, my story is like everybody else's story. 
it doesn't matter. It's just, I felt like shit in the inside. I covered it up by using anything I could to make myself feel better. And when I wasn't using drugs, I was using men. I was using shopping. I was using people. I was using exercise. I was using whatever it took in between treatments. When I'd stay sober for nine months, I would go to meetings, but I, I wouldn't, I'd go to AA, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't work the program. I'd go to AA, but I'd look and see who the cutest guy was and then go out with the cutest guy and then get into a relationship. And then I'd use, and then I'd say, you know what? I'm going back to AA. I'm staying away from those AA guys. They're the worst. So then I'd get addicted to online dating and I would date, I get, then that would be a thing. And so, you know, the sex addiction, which isn't about the sex, it's about making me feel better inside, you know, sex addiction, sex and love addiction is not always about, you know, the, the sexual part of it, you know, it, it, it's about just anything that we, that, to, to make us not have to feel or to make us feel better about ourselves or just to get, to get us away from ourselves. Just, you know, addicts, we are, we're interesting people, you know? And for so many years I was going to AA and I just didn't get it. I didn't even get into the arrests and all the drug possession charges that I had because there were many. I mean, the DUI started at such an early age and, you know, and the, all my friends that died and, and none of that does shit. You know, we could, we could get DUIs, we could get arrested, we could watch our friends die, we could OD, we could do it all. And that's not going to get us clean. I know for me, what it took was an emotional bottom. I mean, I had every kind of bottom. I lost my career. I got arrested and my friggin' mugshot was, was plastered. All over the news, Jennifer Wilde gets arrested, cocaine. And um, that was my radio name. And it was really humiliating. And um, you would think that that would kind of, you know, I, I got high after that. And it was really probably one of the lowest moments in my life when that mugshot was out there and everybody um, everybody saw, saw that. And my son saw that too. Um, my son saw me on the ground dead. I OD'd and he saw me on the ground. One day I just surrendered and I was just like, I, I had enough. And I don't know if that's what a spiritual awakening is or not, but it was like, it's time for me to grow the fuck up. It's time for me to grow up and I was done and I was just done. And I went to a meeting and I did it through AA again. I did it through AA at first, you know, I went to AA and that's where I got my support. And, and I cried and I raised my hand and I said, you know what, this time I really, I need, I need to like look at the steps and I really need to work the steps. And I really had to take a look at that first step. I don't think I ever did that first step. I, I admitted that I was an alcoholic, but it was like, I could admit it, but I didn't really care. You know, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll admit I'm an alcoholic, but Deep down inside, I didn't accept the powerlessness of it. I couldn't get into my brain that if I take one anything, I'm gone. 
My last, the last time I used, I was in, I've been to, I've been to the top of the line treatment centers in Malibu, California, to the bottom of the barrel, government funded, one step above prison. Um, I was sentenced to six months in a government funded treatment center that was the worst. So like bugs, sleeping on a plastic mattress, I've been both. So I was in a Malibu treatment center and they were all using Kratom in, in, in this treatment center. I don't know if you know what Kratom, it's like Kava, like the Kava bars. And they said they were sober. So I got, I'm in Malibu in treatment addicted to Kratom that I'm getting in the vape store, okay? I had to detox off the freaking Kratom. I come home, get off the deep, get off the Kratom, get a year sober, and it's New Year's, and this is how cutting, baffling, and powerful this disease is, and I'm taking my last high. It's around New Year's, and I'm like, I have a year. You know what? Everyone in AA, they're all using this Kratom. I'm at the vape store. I'm getting my vape juice. I'm like, yo, there's the Kratom. I can just, I can just take a little bit of Kratom, and I'll be okay because I didn't do the first step yet. I didn't accept the fact that I'm powerless over fucking alcohol and any substance, mood-altering. Any mood-altering substance I cannot use that's going to make me change the way that I am and that I'm not with God, okay? So I said I can take the Kratom. It's legal. I took Kratom. Before you know it, three hours later, I'm behind the dumpster smoking freaking crack, gone on a three-day bender. Next thing you know, uh, the paramedics, the paramedics are in my house and I'm being resuscitated because I OD'd on, um, fentanyl and it started with one Kratom at a vape store. And that was the last time I got high. And that's when I said to myself, I surrender, I am powerless. And it all comes down to surrendering and the fact that I'm powerless and that if I don't get right with God and accept my God, and know that the only thing that's going to get me right, there's no human power. And I know that I'm sounding like a fucking walking big book, but until I got into the big book, I was never able to do it. And you see these things back here, these things back here, singing bowls, meditation, all that helped me get to my God. Okay. Because I was brought up Jewish and Jewish is in Hebrew and it's like, Shema Israel. like none of that ever made any sense to me. Like I didn't get religion at all. I was really confused. Like, okay. So like Jesus, I, I'm not supposed to believe in that. And I, I don't understand Hebrew. I was never bought mitzvah, but like religion is really weird. I don't get it. So I had to find something that, that I related to. And I always loved crystals. Okay. And I'm really sensitive to energy. And I love Reiki and all of that made sense to me. And, 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 and it, it really soothed me and it made me feel good. And I felt connected and I felt that fullness that I was looking for. I felt filled up. And so that helped me connect to God. And then every time I felt like I wanted to use it again, I was like, but you know what? I'm going to be turning my back on God. And then my life started getting better. And things started, things started happening and maybe not materialistically so much. I didn't get my freaking radio career back because that fell in the toilet. And we'll talk about that in the next, the next podcast I'm invited back to, but, um, just things happen. Like I got my self-esteem back. I started feeling better about myself. I got really into working out. I got really into meditation. I became a Reiki healer. I started helping other people and that started making me feel better. My son started getting better. 
I got divorced. I got out of this marriage I couldn't get out of. And then I never thought my ex-husband and I would ever be able to speak two words to each other. We're best friends today. I got a job in treatment helping other people. And I actually was asked to work in radio again. Problem is they don't pay anything and they want me to leave Florida. I ain't leaving Florida. I love it here. I get to go to the beach and watch the sunrise. I get to wake up in the morning and feel good and refreshed and know what I did last night. I get to talk to my mother, who's no longer with us. She, she died in the middle of one of my things, but I made peace with that. And we're connected spiritually. And I know that if I was using, I would not be connected to her spiritually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get to. My brother and I had no relationship. We have a relationship today. I get to say I'm going to be somewhere and I'm there. The gifts just keep on coming. Do I still get depressed? Yes. Do I have to work at it every day? Yes. Is it a daily reprieve? Yes. Um, by no means is life perfect. But... Every single day, I am so grateful, and I have to pinch myself. All those times that I was in rehab, I have to pinch myself when I go to work and I'm on the other side. I'm on the other side. I see that girl. I see that girl that is in so much pain, and she's sitting there, and she's just fresh in rehab out of detox. And I could be like, listen, girl, trust me. If I could do it, you can do it. I could look at her in the eye and she could look at me in the eye and she could believe me. And she knows I, she knows I'm not, I'm not kidding. She knows I'm not fucking with her. You know, I have a real story. It's true. I did it and she could do it. And there is nothing that can replace that feeling of helping somebody else. And you've got to be able to do it first and, 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 and walk the walk before you can help somebody else. And there is no hit of crack that can give you that feeling. I could be an example to that little boy over there and show him that mommy doesn't have to do that anymore. So thank you so much for having me on. Um, I would plug my podcast, but it's really not up and running yet. So I'm going to let you plug it once it gets going. I don't really have to pour it out yet. <laughs> I know it's going to kick ass, but thank you for having me. If you want to find me, you can go to sober exposure underscore podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have a really, really cool podcast with some great guests. And we're going to talk about some really interesting subject matters. And just go to my Instagram and it'll give you all the information you need to know. So thank you again. Thank you. Yes. Dude. Can't wait for that podcast. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can't. I can't either, <laughs> dude. Like she's uh, she's amazing. Yeah. I, li I like how her story progresses and the energy progresses towards wellness. Like the closer she gets to talking about the the recovery part of it the more energy goes up and like i just i it was so much fun we ended up talking for i don't know probably an hour i bet you know just chopping it up yeah she i would love to talk to her yeah okay i, I get jealous of these war stories sometimes <laughs> i think i'm gonna start doing them you should yeah you I should do I'm a gonna, couple i'm gonna do a few here or there but wouldn't hurt thank you jen that was yes. amazing fun Dude, i loved the part about her story where she talked about Kratom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of it until, like, she did, she did a post. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't remember if there was a poll on that, on her story, or 
What? That was the first time I had ever heard of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I had some guy bring it to set once and it was just like, I'd never heard of it either. I kind of naively took it and it was just like, oh, hmm. I wonder <laughs> if I need to tell my sponsor about that. <laughs> And uh, anyways, never did it again, but I can see why it would be a problem. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But yeah, dude, like I I really identified with her. She talked again about comparing people like early on. Hated Um, school. Hated school. She was addicted to Coke at 16. Yeah. and, and never really feeling like she was getting that discipline from home. Yeah. And I can identify with that. That, that, that kept her from doing those things and. And, you know, it was just, it, 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 it totally made me think about, yeah, that's definitely powerlessness, you yeah. know, that's definitely uh, unmanageability. Yeah. Um, the way that, that, that things unfolded for her. And then to hear just about the insanity that was sort of her life during, you know, the rock scene and, and, you know, like. I, I can't imagine having a job or being in a position and, and the rock or the music industry is definitely one of those where, you know, that stuff isn't frowned upon. No, it's like kind even, of, kind of promoted. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's definitely more socially acceptable. Like yeah. Jordan can speak to this, you know? Yeah. Um, I would rather you don't, but you could <laughs> if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the, that, that's half of the appeal, right? I know it was for me as far mm-hmm. as being attracted to, to rock and roll, heavy metal and, and any inkling of wanting any type of fame or, or anything like that was, it seemed like you could get away with doing as much of that shit as you wanted. Yeah. And, and, and she tried. And then what happened was, you know, Jennifer Wilde arrested for cocaine. Yeah. Smeared yep. everywhere. Yep. Like in having to live through that moment of incomprehensible demoralization and even her child seeing it yeah you know, like now the cat is out of the bag mm-hmm. everybody knows mm-hmm. right yeah and not that not that they didn't before but now she knows that everybody knows well i a great deal of people did know but i think there was probably a lot of her listeners and fans and, and sure. things like that that never even considered it until then yeah. and now you know, another career down the drain, mm-hmm. you know, another, another choice, another rehab, 40 of them. Yeah. yeah. For, for yeah. fuck's sakes. That's, uh, <laughs> that might be a record that I've heard, you know, yeah. but she, one thing I love that she touched on that I think, uh, you know, I, I remember I, I sort of identify with was the false ego. Yeah was a great part of her story. And I think that I, you know, I remember, for a second there, if you can believe it, I was trying to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Well, and I'd say uh, you still are trying. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Some in, my, type of comedian. in my own little way. Um, but, like, you know, I was going to clubs. I had, like, you know, uh, a little routine. And anyways, I was convinced that I was more funny drunk. That I needed oh. to be, that I needed to be, you know, intoxicated. And so... It became like, well, no, man, like this is going to be my life now. If this is my life now, then I'm totally cool to, to drink and drug. Like this is going to be, you know, like yeah. how things are. And, and just, so it totally made me identify with, with, you know, yeah. that part of her deciding that, Hey man, this is my career. Like there is no reason not to do this. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then, and then what happens, right? Crack treatment career. Treatment, crack, career, treatment, crack, career, mm-hmm. treatment, crack, career, overdose, fentanyl, 
you know, surrender. Yep. You know, and, and luckily she finally did, right? She, yeah. And that's what she brings up is like she finally surrendered and, and found that connection with, with God that she's been looking for, you know, finding her spirituality through crystals and, and meditation. All the energy and work. Bowls. Yeah. Roku. You know, Reiki. Reiki. Not Roku. It, <laughs> I'm stuck in work mode. Yeah. Reiki. Reiki and... and you know, and, the, and now being able to, like, she, she's obviously a, a member of a 12-step group, which I imagine she doesn't get into, but I imagine a lot of people get a lot out of it mm-hmm. when she goes to a meeting and she's able to share her success to failure, you know, that 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 want for, like, position and, and like, all of a sudden you're in that position of, of esteem and, and grandeur, mm-hmm. you know, meeting all the rock bands and 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 living your dream life and having it all just be a bunch of bullshit yep. because you're fucking dead inside you yeah. know and, and like that powerlessness and just it's such it's such a great delivery of a story it was so so in, engaging and like i could identify with so much of it so jen yeah. thank you thank you for for connecting in, in our conversation i can't wait to to see yours take off I'm, yeah I'm, i cannot I'm wait for that podcast to, certain that it's going to do well so you know and then like she she put her plug in there you know look her up mm-hmm. check it out check it out and we will definitely let everybody know when that podcast hits the ground yeah um we have you know we have links to um other shows and and things like that on our link tree on instagram if you go on our instagram you'll see in our bio there's a link tree you can go to our YouTube channel, which has on the channels, other people's channels, you mm-hmm. know, guests and podcasts and stuff like that, that, that we promote. So check it out. The other side of hell one one on Instagram. Yeah. So the good show. shit. Good, good. I'm feeling empowered. Today. Yeah. I feel empowered today. So great. Yeah, I really needed this. Yeah. Yeah. For show. I needed this. I, I get so much from the show. So thank you so much. Like your story was great, Jen. And I, I'm, really excited to to further this relationship yeah good topic you know thanks so yeah it's good to see i'm gonna get out of here but yeah i want to thank everybody that that hopped on the on the live with us this morning and and helped with with topic points and stuff like that too so yeah thanks guys i appreciate it it's good to see everybody everybody that's listening it's nice to engage thank you crew Thanks, thanks, George. His his name is Intern slash Ryland. Intern slash Ryland. Intern slash Mitch. Intern slash Mitch. I finally starting to learn their names. They've been with us for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> powerless over remembering names. So, what do you say we get out of here? All right, you start. Okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We love you. We will see you on the other side. Remember, you guys, you are worth the work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.